Depleted Uranium Weapons. They're also known as DU. The United Kingdom has already pledged to ship DU-containing ammunition to Ukraine for their use in the war against Russia. And the media machine has kicked into high gear to convince us all that it is laughable to link DU to nuclear weapons and that British DU tank rounds contain only trace elements of depleted uranium. So it's not any worse than an ordinary bullet or mortar round, you know? But then a genuine world expert on the medical impact of radiation and DU weapons on not just adults, but the unborn, and then the babies who do manage to get born, gets asked her thoughts on these weapons, and she tells you... So it's just absolutely obscene, obscene. And how dare these characters use these radioactive weapons? It's nuclear war without the explosion. That's what it is. And it pollutes the area for the rest of time. And the children play in the dust. They inhale the dust. Everyone inhales the dust. Many of the very grossly deformed babies had their hair tested and their hair contained uranium. This is upon birth their hair was tested? Yeah. And let's just say it was not good for their health. Well, when Nobel Peace Prize nominee Dr. Helen Caldicott provides such an unequivocal assessment of DU weapons, along with the footnotes and medical information to back it up, you realize even more clearly how the whole world is progressively more and more trapped in that terrible, dangerous seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, a powerful interview with Dr. Helen Caldicott, the Nobel Peace Prize nominee, who is perhaps the world's leading expert on what exposure to radioactivity does to the human body. We discuss the impact of depleted uranium weapons on the children born to mothers who live in DU-contaminated areas such as Fallujah in Iraq, and what the impact would be in Ukraine if the DU ammunition promised by the UK gets deployed there. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, Linda Pence-Gunter with the Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story, Numbnuts of the Week for Outstanding Nuclear Boneheadedness, and more honest nuclear information than was ever going to be included in the broadcast of the Tony Awards, which now isn't going to take place anyway. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, May 16, 2023, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting out in Ukraine, 
where, as this show is being recorded, comes word that there has been a huge, quote-unquote, mushroom blast in Khmelnytsky in western Ukraine. A viral video shows a large explosion with what looks like mushroom-shaped cloud, and there are unverified claims that a depleted uranium storage facility was hit and reports that radiation levels were rising in the aftermath of the strike. We have no further information at this time on whether depleted uranium, DU, was involved and whether the radiation levels have been rising in a way that supports that contention. We'll bring you more information once we can verify it. Rafael Grossi, the Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, says he's alarmed by the threat of a nuclear accident at Ukraine's Zaporizhia power plant. He said... If we have a nuclear accident there, this will not recognize uniforms or flags. It's going to add to the enormous suffering and misery of the people there, this added element that is going to have ripples and reverberations all over the world. This from the head of the organization tasked with promoting nuclear energy and covering up its mistakes and vulnerabilities. So for Grossi to say it, it must be bad. And now for a more nuanced look at what's happening in Ukraine and at Zaporizhia, here's Linda Pence-Gunter with this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. It seems that all too often on this program, we are talking about Zaporizhia, the six-reactor nuclear power plant in Ukraine, and never in a good way. This week is no different as, once again, we watch and wait, wondering if disaster will strike, and wondering why seemingly nothing can be done to prevent it. The worries today have mounted even higher than the extreme concerns we already had about the safety of the plant, as rumours swirl about a possible Ukrainian counteroffensive into the Russian-held region. To prepare for such an eventuality, the Russians have been evacuating civilian populations in the area. The Zaporizhia nuclear plant, occupied by Russian troops since March 4, 2022, is situated in the southwestern region of the country, embroiled in some of the most intense fighting. It has already suffered shelling and missile attacks, including a strike on the site that set fire to an auxiliary building. The plant has lost connection to the grid on several occasions due to bombardments knocking out the off-site electricity supply. That has forced workers to resort to backup diesel generators. But if these run out of available fuel before the external grid is restored, then the situation becomes an immediate crisis. Electricity is needed to pump cooling water through the reactor core to cool the fuel. Power is also needed to keep the waste fuel pools cool and the rods there submerged. Given the extreme conditions of war, Energoatom, the Ukrainian nuclear authority, has, as a precaution, put all six reactors in what is called cold shutdown at the same time depriving the country of the source of more than 20% of its electricity. But you cannot just switch a nuclear reactor off and go home. Even in cold shutdown, a meltdown could still happen. In cold shutdown, fissioning has stopped. Temperatures inside the reactors begin to decline, requiring a less intense supply of cooling water. But without that steady flow of cooling water, the still hot fuel will heat up the remaining water present and boil it away. That, in turn, uncovers and exposes the fuel rods in the reactor to air, 
the fuel in the reactor starts to swell, the zirconium rods crack and release radiation and then catch fire. A zirconium fire releases hydrogen, which, when mixed with oxygen, creates an explosive environment. That is what we saw at Fukushima. And if the cooling water in the fuel pools boils off, the rods there are exposed with a similar outcome. The advantage of cold shutdown over a reactor still operating is only that, if power to the reactors is lost, the workers have a bit more time to restore the electricity supply before disaster strikes. This frightening scenario, ever present, only becomes even more probable should serious fighting break out on and around the nuclear plant itself. While it is logical to assume that neither Ukraine nor Russia would have anything to gain by deliberately precipitating a nuclear meltdown, having nuclear reactors in a full-blown battle zone is uncharted territory. Cool heads may not prevail, nor may luck. The evacuations reportedly include only residents, including at least 1,000 children. But these are the families of the Zaporizhia nuclear plant, plant workers, an already exhausted force pulling long shifts reportedly under at times extreme duress. Will they choose to evacuate with their families? A depleted workforce only adds to the likelihood of human error. That alone, even without an attack on the plant, could lead to disaster as it did at Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. There is no obvious answer to this terrifying situation, other than one, a general ceasefire. But powerful geopolitical interests on both sides are engaged in ensuring that peace is not a priority, and that leaves us relying on luck, which has a nasty habit of running out. It's a good song with a great message. Give peace a chance. John Lennon wrote it in 1969. It's about time the powers controlling this deadly and needless war started doing it. I'm Linda Pence-Gunter with Beyond Nuclear, reporting for Nuclear Hot Seat, and that's this week's hot story. Here in the United States, in California, the two nuclear reactors at the Diablo Canyon site are still built on earthquake faults, still aging, with a long history of problems and leaks, and so, what is the big announcement from operating company Pacific Gas and Electric? They're changing storage of their spent fuel casks from vertical to horizontal. A spokesperson for PG&E said that the horizontal method can store fuel that is essentially hotter, meaning more dangerous, than what the current vertical system could handle. And, quote, the new system will allow it to decommission the plant more efficiently when the time comes. That's rather smug because these two nuclear reactors were supposed to be decommissioned in 2024 and 2025, but California Governor Gavin Newsom wants to run for president. And now Diablo Canyon's reactors will run until at least 2030. This new storage will block off even more of California's prime oceanfront and is being opposed by the Northern Chumash Tribal Council and Surfrider Foundation. An important study has been released Stanford University-led research has found that small modular nuclear reactors, long touted as the future of nuclear energy, will actually generate more radioactive waste than conventional nuclear power plants, waste which must be isolated from the environment for hundreds of thousands of years. 
Stanford, in conjunction with the University of British Columbia, announced that most small modular nuclear reactor designs will actually increase the volume of nuclear waste in need of management and disposal by factors of anywhere from 2 to 30 and that these findings stand in sharp contrast to the cost and waste reduction benefits that advocates have claimed for advanced nuclear technologies. Another major energy story, this one covered by Newsweek, states that the U.S. has begun producing more power from wind and solar than nuclear for the first time. This is an important milestone, because as the war in Ukraine rages, the United States continues to sanction Russian oil and gas, but still relies on the nation for one key resource, nuclear fuel. Nuclear energy has evaded sanctions for more than a year into the war because enriching uranium is a highly specialized process that can only be done in certain countries. Commercial plants converting uranium operate in Russia, Canada, China, and France, but Russia has the most infrastructure needed for the conversion and some of the world's largest uranium supplies. Rosatom, Russia's collection of nuclear suppliers provides fully one quarter of the U.S. nuclear fuel. And the United States continues to pay Russia for its resource, spending a collective $1 billion last year, according to a report by the Wall Street Journal. And that is why, noting the fact that the U.S. is now producing more power from wind and solar than nuclear is so crucial, we must make people aware And we'll link to that Newsweek article on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 621. As regards climate change, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, has issued a landmark report on exactly what we face and why we need to move much faster than we have been. Included is a chart that provides the roadmap for an escape from catastrophe. It assesses with extraordinary clarity the potential for emission cuts with more than 40 options that can be taken. We will also link to the IPCC report so that you can take a look for yourself. In Japan, pity the poor fishermen. CNN.com ran the story, Fukushima's fishing industry survived a nuclear disaster. Twelve years on, it fears Tokyo's next move may finish it off. When the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster began, Radiation from the damaged nuclear plant leaked into the Pacific Ocean, prompting authorities to suspend fishing operations off the coast of three prefectures that had previously provided Japan with half of its catch. That ban lasted over a year, and even after it was lifted, Fukushima-based fishermen were limited to collecting samples for radioactivity tests on behalf of the state-owned Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, rather than taking their catches to market. Japan lifted its last remaining restrictions on fish from the area in 2021, though 15 countries still ban seafood from Japan, including China, South Korea, and Taiwan. The fishermen thought the nightmare was over, but when Japan continued following through on its plans to release more than 1.3 million metric tons of tritium-contaminated radioactive wastewater into the Pacific Ocean starting this summer, 2023, the fishermen and their industry were shocked, stunned, and outraged, with Fukushima's fishermen fearing that, whether the release is safe as the government and TEPCO claims or not, 
The move will undermine consumer confidence in their catches and once again threaten the way of life they have fought so hard to recover. This is an extensive article, which we will, of course, link to on our website. And be aware that it does lean into making excuses for Japan and TEPCO's planned water release, while not specifically putting down the concerns of the fishermen. And it does quote a TEPCO official saying, We understand that there are many people who can't trust us. Truer words were never spoken. And now... Nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, nuclear hot seed, none that's out of week. Unsettling reports out of China claim that country has given artificial intelligence, AI, control over the launch of its nuclear weapons. What could go wrong? Let me count the ways. They claim that this will lower the possibility of human error in nuclear launches. But really, the human error has already been made in giving AI the power to launch nukes in the first place. Allowing AI to make decisions about when and where to launch these weapons is a significant departure from the traditional command and control systems used by nuclear-armed countries, which puts machines in charge of our future. Now would be a great time to implement in AI the three rules of robotics written by Isaac Asimov in his science fiction book, iRobot. Number one, a robot may not injure a human being or allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except when such orders would contradict the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. What would be so tough about installing this as boilerplate on every AI system? But I guess in China, they don't read 1950s science fiction. And that's why, whoever the Chinese quote-unquote experts are who thought this was a good idea, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. But first, well, my bags are packed. I'm ready to, well, actually not packed yet, but soon. Because I'm leaving for the International Uranium Film Festival in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Ten days to cover 16 of the year's best new films about nuclear issues, interview the filmmakers, and network with the people there to help strengthen connections between nuclear hot seat and concerned, committed activists and activist filmmakers from around the world. The result? You, the listeners, will be given a front row seat to cutting-edge films and the people who make them. To those of you who have already donated so generously to help me with the expenses, thank you. This trip is not coming out of the nuclear hot seat operating budget. To be honest, every penny from current donations is needed to cover the monthly expenses, and sometimes I have to reach into my pocket and add to it in order to make the bottom line. As for the trip, I'm asking for your help. And now there's a new way to donate. You can, of course, go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the red Donate button. That takes you to our PayPal connection. But now we have Zelle, a service where you can send money directly to the Nuclear Hot Seat bank account through our email, info at NuclearHotSeat.com. And what's better, your tax-deductible donation comes to us without fees being deducted. Either way, your donation, as I said, is tax-deductible, 
And as a bonus, for any donation of $100 or more, we can set up a one-on-one -on -one or group call to discuss nuclear issues or concerns of your choice. Or musical theater writing if you want to go that direction. But if you are of a mind to do so, please donate what you can now. And know that you're helping me bring you all the news from the IUFF in Rio. Now here's this week's featured interview. Dr. Helen Caldicott has probably done more to make the public around the world aware of the dangers of nuclear weapons, nuclear war, nuclear reactors, and the entire nuclear fuel chain than any other individual in history. During her more than 60 years of activism, she has founded or revived organizations including Physicians for Social Responsibility, led protests, spoken to presidents, been a Nobel Peace Prize nominee, and the focus of an Academy Award-winning film, all of which was in service to her influencing several generations of activists to stand up against these weapons of mass destruction and the nuclear power industry. She has featured prominently on Nuclear Hot Seat since our inception 12 years ago and continues to be the definitive source for tough, honest information about what the medical consequences of the nuclear industry and its byproducts really are. I spoke with Dr. Helen Caldicott on May 14, 2023. Dr. Helen Caldicott, it's always an honor and a pleasure to have you here with us on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you very much, Libby. One of the topics that has been coming up for discussion and is not clearly understood is that of depleted uranium weapons as regards the Ukraine. So let's just start with the basics on it. What is depleted uranium, referred to as DU, and what are DU weapons? Okay, so when uranium is mined, it's got two isotopes, uranium 235, which is the fissile isotope that is used in nuclear power plants and nuclear weapons. And the rest is uranium-238, uh, which has a half-life of 4.5 billion years. In other words, the length of the lifetime of this planet. And so they extract the uranium-235 from the uranium ore. And what is left behind is uranium-238, which is called depleted uranium. Now, that depleted uranium had absolutely no use until they found out that it's very much more dense than lead. And if used in anti-tank weapons, it actually, because of the velocity and the momentum, it penetrates the armor, steel armor of the tank, goes straight through it. But it also is pyrophoric. It bursts into flame when it hits the armor of the tank and explodes, as well as penetrating the armor and produces tiny aerosolized particles of uranium-238, which are scattered around the environment in the dust and to, to lie there forever, polluting the environment, the food, the children, the air to be inhaled for the rest of time. What are some of the problems with health that are caused by depleted uranium? Okay, so... It was used excessively by America and England. In the invasion in Iraq in 2003, the British and US militaries used 1,700 tonnes of uranium. 
and 320 tons used in the 1991 Gulf War. They also used it, if you please, in the first 24 hours of the Libyan attack, the US dropped 45 2,000 pound uranium bombs. It's absolutely obscene. And they, they've used it in Moselle, Al Ramadi, Najif, Fallujah, Hajar, and it is not only just uranium-238, but it is actually polluted also with plutonium and americium, which are very, very long-lived, highly carcinogenic radioisotopes. This is nuclear war without the nuclear explosions. I've heard it referred to that, and it does seem that way because there's no explosion, as we would expect with the fireball from the nuclear bomb, but it has all of the after effects, which our perception has been manipulated to not understand exactly how deadly the radioactivity can be. Well, it's not our perception. It hasn't been reported much by the media. So doctors in Fallujah, my colleagues, since 2005, have been absolutely overwhelmed by the number of babies with serious birth defects. It must cross the placenta and damage the embryo in the first three months of life where all the organs and limbs are made. And the defects include a girl born with two heads to um, neural tube defects, which is spina bifida. So the neural tube down through the spinal cord doesn't fuse properly and their limbs are paralyzed and far more cancers than they documented before the battle for Fallujah. In Fallujah, 25% of newborns were seriously deformed. The rate of leukemia is 38 times higher. The children, children's cancer rate is 12 times higher. Breast cancer is 10 times more common than in the population of Egypt, Jordan, and Kuwait. Across Iraq, increasing numbers of birth defects appear to be surfacing, and I've already named those towns. And there's a picture here, well, we're, we're not doing it. This is an audio tape, isn't it, Libby? We're doing audio, but if you send- But me- I'll just show you the picture of one of the deformed babies. Okay, that's a screenshot. If you can send me that visual, I will post it. Okay, I'll try. So it's just absolutely obscene, obscene. And how dare these characters use these radioactive weapons? It's nuclear war without the explosion. That's what it is. And it pollutes the area for the rest of time. And the children play in the dust. They inhale the dust. Everyone inhales the dust. Many of the very grossly deformed babies had their hair tested and their hair contained uranium. This is upon birth their hair was tested? Yeah. So depleted uranium weapons not only do the immediate damage, but in the aftermath with the radionuclides that are left, it's like genetic warfare is being waged. Absolutely, absolutely. And carcinogenic warfare. That's what it is. Carcinogenic warfare. In the past two weeks, The United Kingdom has already committed to sending DU weapons to Ukraine to be used with the Challenger 2 tanks that they have already sent over there. So they're sending the ammunition to go with the tanks. And the Biden administration refuses to rule out sending depleted uranium anti-tank munitions to Ukraine. What 
would be the impact of Ukraine if they use these weapons against the Russians, but on their own soil? Well, the same effect I've just described as in Fallujah and in Iraq and Libya, an increase in congenital birth defects, a massive increase in childhood cancers. Children are very much more sensitive to radiation than adults, little girls more sensitive than little boys. And this will be ongoing for the rest of time in the areas in which these weapons are used. It's a medical emergency, a medical emergency. And your tape should be played, Libby, and transcribed to be used in the conference where you're about to attend, but it should be transcribed and published in major newspapers, including New York Times, Washington Post, the uh, newspapers in Britain and the like, to educate people about what I'm talking about. Obviously, politicians are medically illiterate about this subject, absolutely medically illiterate. I mean, I'd love to get to talk to Biden face to face about this as a doctor patient, as I did once with Reagan. And came so close to changing all of our lives forever. Absolutely. I mean, we helped to bring about the end of the Cold War, but uh, it didn't happen. Ukraine is also known as something of a breadbasket for Europe in that the crops are sent all throughout the EU and into Britain and beyond. What would be the impact on the soil and the water and the crops should the DU weapons be implemented? Well, it's a very, very good question. I don't think uranium-238 resembles other elements in the soil like potassium and sodium and chloride and the like, but I'm sure it will contaminate the grain, even if just when it's harvested, because the dust will be all over the crops. And people who eat food made from this grain will be subject to develop cancers as well. The most important way that uranium-238 tiny particles are embedded in the body is by inhalation but also by ingestion. In so that very, very good question, because it's true, the Ukraine is one of the breadbaskets of the world. It's a very good question. Then we're talking about the political fallout from the use of, or the proposed use of depleted uranium weapons. I don't believe they have been used yet. A Russian official this past week responded to the Biden administration's refusal to rule out sending depleted uranium anti-tank munitions to Ukraine by warning that deployment of such weapons would be regarded by Moscow as the use of dirty nuclear bombs, as you said. Yeah. The mind boggles at what that might lead to in this ever-escalating saber-rattling that is going on. Has Russia, to your knowledge, yet used depleted uranium weapons in Ukraine? That I don't know, but I doubt it. I don't think it has. You know, a lot of the media noise that has been taking place, especially in the UK, around the decision to send these weapons to Ukraine has been blatantly and absolutely predictably it's not a problem. Don't worry your pretty little head about it. There was a British tank commander who said it was, quote, laughable to link DU to nuclear weapons, and that British DU tank rounds, quote, contained only trace elements of depleted uranium. Yet, how much radioactive material is enough to create health problems and poison the environment? 
Well, it just indicates that these people in positions of high authority and responsibility have no idea about biology, physiology or pathology. And it seems imperative that they all need an educational course in these subjects. I would be very happy to provide that with a blackboard and a piece of chalk and draw genes and sperm and, and chromosomes on the blackboard and teach them, as I did with uranium miners in Australia. I got round to speaking to the unions all over Australia. And before they went out to work, I had a blackboard and a piece of chalk and I drew their genes and their sperm and their testicles and radiation alpha particles, beta particles, x-rays and the like. And in the end, the education was so effective that the Australian Council of Trade Unions banned uranium mining, export and delivery. That was overturned by a very bad prime minister that we had, Bob Hawke, who was working actually with the CIA in the embassy in Canberra and promised them that he would overturn that ruling of the unions. But education is the key. As your President Jefferson said, education is the key to democracy. An educated democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. And it's true. And I've spent my life educating people and practicing global preventive medicine as one would with a patient but educating the global population. Speaking of educating, what you just talked about, that kind of training in the basics of exactly what we're talking about when radiation is being discussed. What, if any, consideration have you given to recording this as a course, as a class, as a consciousness raiser, whatever you want to call, but have you with the blackboard, with the chalk and a camera on you, giving the lecture either by yourself in a room or in a studio or in front of an audience that could respond and make the appropriate noises when they realize exactly the jeopardy that they are creating? Well, I think that a film was made of me talking to the unions way back in the 80s. But no, I haven't organized that. See, LeBay, I'm now nearly 85 and I'm virtually retired. If someone wanted to do that with me and organize it, I would be glad to do it. But I'm not in the position to organize it myself at this time. Well, I'm about to go to the International Uranium Film Festival with a lot of filmmakers who are always looking for their next project. So okay, it's, oh, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> have to come to Australia, though. <laughs> well, you know, there are worse things. If I can get to Brazil, other filmmakers can get to Australia. Yeah, that would be the best way to educate people. And once that was made, if it was played, you know, in the social media TikTok, it's, they're very short, but all the rest of the social media, that could educate a lot of people. But it would need to be on major television shows too in America and in England and across the world for people like Mr. and Mrs. Joe Sixpack sitting back watching their television to understand and be educated about this. And then from that, as the masses become educated, they rise up and that affects the political process in either country. Once something like that gets recorded, one of the major targets that I would choose here in the United States would be the comedians who do the late night shows and have the opportunity to speak honestly, specifically John Oliver, because he can go on for 20 minutes on any topic. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Well, he could interview me in Australia. 
I'll do what I can to at least bring that up to his writers. <laughs> they're all on strike now, but they're probably thinking about new subjects to do. Well, this isn't AI. This is the dinky die, the real thing. You know, there's so much of eternity that is at stake right now. And people are treating this as just a passing one-upmanship between the United States and Russia using Ukraine as the playing field. You're shaking your head. Well, yeah, it is eternity. I was trying to think of a, an aphorism to use. War into the eternal war. War into eternity. It's not just killing people immediately. It's long-term death, long-term illness. It's just, from a medical perspective, obscene. I mean, my specialty was cystic fibrosis, and you don't know how hard we work to try and save those children's lives. You know, and to try and save a child with leukemia or cancer and the grief of the parents are just hideous what they're doing. I've now called the Department of Defence the Department of Murder because actually that's what they do. Since 9-11, they've murdered over a million people, spent over a trillion dollars. The whole Congress is funded by the murderers, the killers, and they are. They're killers. We've just got to stop killing people. I mean, the whole American economy is based on murder now. Almost all your tax dollars go to murder, and it's murder. It's murder. You get no arguments from me because I've been seeing it through this show, through the lens of this show now for 12 full years. Anyone who has any illusions about the nature of the United States and that we're, you know, this great loving country and the bright light in the world... I challenge them to pay attention to maybe a few selected nuclear hot seat episodes or a few aspects of the nuclear issue to understand exactly how the world is tricked out to favor those who have the money, create the weapons. There's a saying in business that you always want to be in a business where you sell something, it gets used, it gets used up, and then they have to buy some more. Exactly. The so the more wars they have, the better. Absolutely. That's why they're setting China up as the enemy. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable. Rules-based order. Who makes the rules? Rules-based order made by the United States. <laughs> now China's surpassed America in production, in the economy, in a way, you know, let's share the planet. But I don't know, the people in high office in the United States, I don't understand them. That would be a long discussion about the psychology that leads one to want to have that kind of power over people, which is how politics are now viewed. It's about someone coming perhaps from nothing, perhaps from something in terms of money, but find a way to muscle into the power structure and then rise up because the higher one rises, the higher the rewards that can come, as we're seeing with Clarence Thomas, you should pardon the expression, as we see with so many of our executives who get the perks. And there doesn't seem to be enough muscle in democracy right now to move swiftly and appropriately against those who abuse their power. You know, during the 80s, Libby, there was a Hollywood agent called Pat Kingsley who represented all the film stars. And she heard me talk once and said, I will represent you. And I said, I can't afford you. And she said, I'll do it for free. 
and she placed me on all the television stations in Vogue and Life and Time. So I was able, as a pure doctor, to educate people about the medical effects of nuclear war, such that we had a million people in Central Park in a March in 1982. And over time, 80% of Americans were aware of the medical effects of nuclear war and opposed it. I met with Reagan in the White House for an hour and a quarter, holding his hand, trying to educate him about nuclear war, etc. And it, eventually we got 23,000 doctors teaching people about the medical effects of nuclear war in our travel countries all over the world. And we got Reagan and Gorbachev eventually to meet in, in Reykjavik, where they almost agreed to abolish nuclear weapons, but hung up on Star Wars. So my thesis is that it's what Jefferson said, an educated democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. And that's the illustration of that statement. It worked. And so we have to educate the public again. So we got to the point where you were visible, these other physicians were visible, the word was out, things were turning against nuclear. What happened? How did we lose it? Oh, well, it's a good question. When the Cold War ended, there were, I think, 17 states on the border of Russia which had been part of the Soviet Union, and they were now liberated, all of them along the border. So they were free. And James Baker, Secretary of State, promised Gorbachev that NATO would not involve these countries. It would not move one inch further along that border of Russia. Well. There was a man called Norman Augustine, the CEO of Lockheed Martin, a wicked, wicked company. So he took it upon himself to visit these little liberated countries and said, do you want to be a democracy? And they said, of course they do. Well, do you want to join NATO? Yeah. Well, to join NATO, they had to buy millions of dollars worth of weapons to join NATO. And he convinced all of them to join NATO. So it was done out of pure wickedness so that Lockheed Martin could sell more weapons. Imagine having a lot of countries along the border at Canada and the United States with missiles pointing into America. That's the situation in Russia. And so Putin said, please don't let the Ukraine join NATO and please remove all the missiles that you've placed in these newly liberated NATO countries that are facing into Russia. They didn't. So there's a cause and effect behind everything. And how did that turn around the general public's thinking? Because I don't know that here in America we pay close attention no, to the nuances of international politics. I don't politics. think it was done behind closed doors. No one knew about it. Just happened. Just happened. And we, as the public, fell off in our awareness of Yeah, our well, concern. you weren't being educated. No one talked about it. It was done behind closed doors. So no one knew about it. But the trouble now is that the neocons, Victoria Newland and Robin Kagan, who she's married to, and other very warlike people, are running the Biden administration. So we're in great, great, great danger. And for the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, the two global nuclear superpowers are facing each other militarily. And already Putin's threatened to use a nuclear weapon. One nuclear weapon, that's the end of life on Earth. Because everything goes then. 
you know, there was a film made during the time we were campaigning against nuclear war called The Day After. Everyone watched it, and it had a huge and profound effect about a bomb dropping on a Midwestern city. Reagan watched it and influenced him. So once again, the media is determining the fate of the earth. That's for sure. So it's up to those who have any kind of power within like the media. Murdoch. Like well, I don't think we can count on Rupert Murdoch to do anything positive exactly. on behalf of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I I know that. But I'm here in Hollywood and there's going to be a film festival. I can't speak about the specifics of that, but I know that at least two very powerful films that point out the nuclear fallacy, and you can spell that any way you want to is going to be held, I believe, in late July of this year here in Hollywood. And it's being put together by a very high-profile individual who, through her family, has been part of the Hollywood in-crowd for decades. For her since birth and for her parents, they worked their way into it. Very powerful. So I know who they are, yeah. The possibility of having more visibility and more of a message get directly to the movers and shakers in Hollywood might be there if we structure something going into it and make that one of our intents, at least to get the word out so that someone somewhere at some studio or another, at least one, if not more, hears this, decides that this is good subject matter for whatever it is they are producing, and they go ahead and make the next, the day after, the next China syndrome. Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove. So prescient, all of those. And yet here we are, all these years later, there are at least two generations that have grown up with no awareness and no input about this. And now all they're hearing is, oh, small modular reactors. That's a good thing. And the full oh, court press of the full court press of media that has been happening to support that is shocking because it's clearly pre-planned reorganized about how great nuclear energy is. Yes, and, and Oliver Stone's just made a film about it. And I respect Oliver Stone so much, but I can't imagine what led him to produce a film like that. Incidentally, Libby, my film, If You Love This Planet, made by the Canadian Film Board 40 years ago, won an Academy Award. And if you go to my website, helencaldicott.com or YouTube, you can download it. It's half an hour long and it makes people cry. And it's nothing's changed. The medical effects of nuclear war haven't changed. If we could get everyone to watch that, it does have a powerful impact. Of course, I will have a link up to that on the website for yeah. this particular episode. Yeah. What other patterns or actions or insanities around nuclear are you aware of at this time that you would like to make us aware of? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd just like to uh, address a joint session of Congress about the medical effects of nuclear war and get into their souls. I can do that. I've done it so many times. I'd like to talk to Biden like I did to Reagan. He's a very good man. He's a Catholic. And establish a doctor-patient relationship with him in regards to this issue. And I'd like to, yeah, be on the television station's is it John Oliver? John Oliver is on HBO, which allows him yeah. to swear. I mean, there are some very good people there. 
And you just need to sit down and logically explain to them what a nuclear war would mean to them and their children. And that power promotes a powerful political movement if the people are educated. I could go to Congress during the 80s and Tip O'Neill, who was chairing the House, would come to his office and meet me and say, what can I do for you, doctor? Because he knew that I had 80% of the Americans behind me. That's political power. Democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. And if you could talk to Ukraine's President Zelensky, what would you say to him? I'd say, look, things are very bad and I feel terrible about the fact that Putin has invaded your country. But for God's sake, go and talk to Putin because everyone's been killed. It's just obscene, absolutely obscene. And he's a very clever man, very clever. Just go and make friends with Putin and help to stop this madness, madness. Biden should be doing that as well, talking to Putin. It's interesting that China's tried to intervene to produce peace in the Ukraine. And what would you have listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat and those who are in our spheres of influence do to help support a move towards sanity at a time when so much is pushing us against okay, sanity? I would, I would suggest everyone sit down, make a cup of tea or coffee or have a whiskey and watch If You Love This Planet. And then show it to as many people as you can, all your family, everyone. Go to the politician's office, your senator and congressperson when they're back on leave, show them the film and say, unless you do something about this in Congress to eliminate nuclear weapons, and there's a treaty up before the United Nations to abolish nuclear weapons, Unless you make sure that you work on this with your fellow congresspeople and senators, I'll make sure you're not re-elected. Then you uh, door knock and make sure they're not re-elected. I mean, the power is in the hands of the people. And the congresspeople are not the leaders. The people are the leaders. The congresspeople are their representatives. And they must represent life and not death, which is what they currently do. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? <laughs> Look, I know America very well. I've traveled to almost every city in America and talked to millions and millions of Americans. They're such good, kind, loving people, desperately want to do the right thing. I know if they're educated, they will. They need to get off up from their laptops and they need to go and see their Congress people once a month educate them and make sure they represent them and their children or they will not be re-elected. And that means getting off their bottoms and getting out to talk to people and educating them. That's the role of a person who lives in a democracy. The Congress people are not your leaders, you are their leaders. They have to represent you and not the military industrial complex or the nuclear industry. They must represent you and your children and grandchildren, and nature, because global warming is upon us and we're in desperate straits. I often say nuclear winter will be the answer to global warming. You know, there's some people who take that seriously and think that that is the answer, and of course it is not. Well, they'll all be dead, so, you know. Dr. Caldecott, it's always wonderful when we work out the time zones and the yes. international dateline <laughs> to find a time when we can actually talk with each other. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
always the challenge, and I'm glad that we were able to transcend it. Well, I appreciate very much the work that you are doing, Libby. You're one of the few people who really take the world on your shoulders like Atlas, or you're the new Joan of Arc. Well, if nothing else, I'm somebody who's got some skills, who has some knowledge, who has some concerns, and I can't do nothing. That's right. So this can't is my do nothing. That's the key. So this is my contribution. And thank you so much for those kind words. Thank you very much. Dr. Helen Caldicott, as I said, it is always a joy and a great education to have you here with us on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Dr. Helen Caldicott. She did send the picture she spoke of, the baby born in Fallujah, and that is what has been used as this week's keystone or signature photo. Yes, it's upsetting, and yes, it's also the truth. This picture, and others like it, of victims of depleted uranium, are part of a free scientific report. Depleted Uranium, a scientific approach to the hazards of military use of depleted uranium, by Professor Dr. Massimo Zucchetti. This report is available as a free PDF, and we have linked to it on our website, nuclearhotseat.com under this episode number 621. We also have a transcript of this interview up on the website as well, which is also available for download. There's a link to my interview with Dr. Caldicott, where she tells the full story of meeting with President Reagan in Reykjavik and how she almost convinced him and then-Russian Premier Mikhail Gorbachev to end all nuclear weapons. Finally, there is a link to her film, If You Love This Planet. It's an Academy Award winner featuring Dr. Caldicott filmed during one of her thousands of presentations. If You Love This Planet is on YouTube, it's on the Nuclear Hot Seat site, and it is on Dr. Caldicott's website, HelenCaldicott.com. Activists, activists, shout out, shout out, shout out. Here in Southern California, San Clemente Green, Public Watchdogs, and Grassroots Environmental Education invite you to the public webinar, A Disaster Waiting to Happen, Safety at San Onofre Nuclear Waste Site. It will take place next Tuesday, May 23, 2023, at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time or 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The meeting will address major safety concerns related to the decommissioning of the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station, focusing on potential flooding of the Holtec canisters, transparency of communication with the public, spent fuel retrievability, similarities to Fukushima, and solutions going forward. It's a great panel featuring nuclear engineer Paul Blanche, Charles Langley, who is executive director of Public Watchdogs, a nonprofit organization with a mission to independently monitor energy and infrastructure regulatory agencies in California, with a focus on protecting public health and safety and removing the nuclear waste from San Onofre. Gary Hedrick, who, with his wife Lori, formed San Clemente Green in 2007 to promote a sustainable future for their community, and Kathy Iwane, who was living in Japan during Fukushima and evacuated with her children to San Diego, ironically 
moving into their new home one day before the San Onofre Generating Station's 2012 radiation leak into the environment. Since then, she has worked with citizens groups, nuclear experts, community leaders, and scientists to shed light on the unaddressed risk of unsafe storage of high-level spent nuclear fuel at San Onofre and beyond. We'll link to where you can sign up for that May 23rd webinar. The Ohio Nuclear Free Network is presenting a forum entitled A Citizen Forum on Radioactive Contamination, Environment, and Public Health and the Future of the Portsmouth Nuclear Site. It will take place on Saturday, June 10, and features another stellar panel. Dr. Michael Ketterer, who is an analytic chemist, Joseph Mangano, epidemiologist and executive director of Radiation and Public Health Project, and Terry J. Lodge, Esquire, a lawyer who specializes in environmental law and civil rights. It will be live-streamed, or you can watch after it's posted on the ONFN, Ohio Nuclear Free Network, YouTube channel, at Ohio Nuclear Free Network. And if you want an easy way to help the show, go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow opt-in box, and fill it out with your first name and an email address. That way you'll get one email a week with a link to the latest show and a little bit of information about its content. Or another thing you can do is go to Nuclear Hot Seat on Facebook and click follow, like, and make a comment, even if it's just yes. What that does is move us up in the Facebook algorithms, and all of that goes to make the show more visible. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, May 16, 2023. Our thanks to Linda Pence-Gunter, for the Nuclear Hot Seat Hot Story. And gratitude to Brett Bernard Stokes for stepping up with rapid assistance in creating the transcript for the interview with Dr. Caldicott. Now, if you've got a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And remember, if you can go to Nuclear Hot Seat and donate, we really need your help. Anything you can do, it all counts, it's all important, and we're deeply grateful for your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2023, Libby, Haledi, and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. Cite the program and the website at minimum. This is Libby Haledi, producer and host of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you that depleted uranium makes no distinction between nationalities. And once it's released into the atmosphere, it goes everywhere. There you have it. You have just had your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.